Good morning and welcome to Alger Assembly of God. We welcome you back today. Uh, it's a great day to be in the house of the Lord, and we are thankful that you are with us. Many of you are, are worshiping with us in person, as well some of you are watching online on Facebook or on YouTube. Maybe you are listening to our podcast on our website or through iTunes. So there's a lot of different ways for you to worship with us and join with us, and we say thank you for that. Today we are beginning a brand new sermon series. It's entitled Stronger Together. Now this is uh, tying in to the Back to Church Sundays theme, and that's what it is, Stronger Together. And many churches throughout the United States uh, are kind of emphasizing Back to Church Sunday. It's the third Sunday of September, and certainly a little different in the midst of our COVID season. But as much as is possible, uh, we're inviting and encouraging people to worship. And uh, as much as is possible in person, and invite someone to join in with you. If you're not able to make it uh, to church in person, watch, listen, connect, invite other people to do the same. Uh, but the encouragement is to get connected to God, get connected to church, get connected to his word. And uh, together has been a big theme, certainly these last number of months, right, with the COVID season. Uh, you've seen, whether it's commercials or whether it's, uh, you know, some of the uh, the hashtags of themes, you know, we're in this together. Or uh, one of the things that I thought was unique was the phrase, at home together, right? You remember that one, the different ones? In other words, we're all at home. We're not at home together, but together we're all at home. I mean, it's it's... But togetherness is this big theme, you know. We're all facing these things together. We're, we're battling the possibility of COVID or battling the possibility. So we're all facing these things. We're doing some of these regulations together. In God's word, togetherness and unity is, is a big part. Psalm 133.1 reads like this. How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity togetherness. And so these next number of weeks, uh, we'll kind of take a little deeper look rather than just kind of a, a one-week look for Back to Church Sunday. We'll take a, a few weeks looking at what does God's Word have to say about togetherness? How can we be stronger together? So I'm going to invite you to James chapter 2. And while you're turning there in your copy of the Word of God, certainly one of the main things that threatens our togetherness, our unity, is partiality. Partiality or favoritism. Certainly that exists and manifests in a lot of other ways, whether that's racism or ageism or sexism, but preferences and, and uh, partiality, favoritism, division, we face and we see a lot of that in our world, right? Our world, our culture, our nation, when it comes to racism, we see favoritism and partiality one over another. When it comes to politics, there's, there's a, lot of, uh, a lot of sides and a lot of viewpoints, and there's favoritism sometimes and partiality favoring this or that and division. And even when it comes to sports, partiality, favoritism, division, because we all know Ohio State is the best. O-H! But then there's some of those people from up north or who follow that team up north, right? Let the record state there was one amen. <laughs> no. 
But on, in, a, in a humorous sense, even when it comes to college athletics, which in the fall, apparently right now, the Big Ten is not able to have, and that's causing some division as well. But, but Ohio State and Michigan, and, and there's the division, and, and some can have it on a lighthearted manner, and that's, a, that's what we often try to do. But some can get super serious to where, I mean, you're talking favoritism, you're talking partiality, you're talking division, even when it comes to sports. But certainly there's, there's a lot more subtle ways that these things can take place. More subtle than maybe being partial to an Ohio State Buckeye fan might be, you know, preference or favoritism for those with maybe certain hairstyles or, or uh, viewing people with piercings or tattoos or clothing, nationalities, religion, men versus women, young versus old, those who make more or make less financial. There's a, a lot of different preferences and sometimes favoritism that exists. And as we're going to be looking at James chapter 2, the challenge and encouragement is very simple. Don't Treat people with favoritism. Don't treat people with partiality. So today we're going to be taking a look at a description of partiality. What is it? What does James say that partiality is? And then we'll take a look at a prescription for it. Maybe it's not the all uh, the the you know be all end all when it comes to facing things, but James gives some great principles about how to face and hopefully overcome partiality and favoritism. So first of all, let's take a look at the description of partiality. James, James chapter 2 and verse 1, first of all, he says that partiality is not Christ-like. That didn't take anybody by surprise. Okay, very good. I, I, didn't, I didn't see or hear any <gasps> gasps. But partiality is not Christ-like. Verse 1, he writes, My brothers... He could say, my sisters. He, he's, he's saying, listen, what I'm about to say is big stuff. Pay attention. Be careful. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. You know, this, this Greek word used for partiality, it's, it's a compound word, and it's kind of made up of uh, these words for to receive and face. It, it literally means to receive someone because of what you see. It's preferences or favoritism or partiality based on the outward appearance. How many of you know, unfortunately, we can judge really quickly based on outward appearance? James is saying, show no partiality. Don't do that quick judging based on outward appearance. Because outward appearance is very superficial, right? We're all human. We've all done it. And no doubt you've had some individuals, you had a quick snap judgment. And then you got to know them. And they were completely opposite, perhaps, of what your viewpoint was about them. Unfortunately, we can tend to treat people different, culture as a whole, society as a whole. We can tend to treat people different based upon what we see on the outside. We see in our culture, uh, people are treated differently because of race or gender, appearance, uh, maybe history. How about age or achievement or wealth? 
There's so many different things. When you, you kind of size somebody up, as you meet them, you see them, and you make oftentimes some snap judgments about individuals. James is saying partiality, favoritism, favoring this individual over that purely by what you see on the outside or based on some of these reasons, it is not Christ-like. Paul writes in Romans chapter 2, verse 11, God does not show favoritism. Another version or translation says, God shows no partiality. So if we are wanting to be godly, if we are wanting to be Christ-like, if we're wanting to be more like Jesus, then we can't show partiality. So the first description is that partiality, it is not Christ-like. Secondly, partiality is not loving. Again, these are not things that, uh, that kind of blow our mind as if we don't know them. James is reminding us about these things. In fact, the next couple of verses, he gives an example of a possibility. Here's one way that someone could be shown favoritism or partiality, and he's showing how it is not a loving thing to do. James 2, verse 2. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who, who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my feet, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves? He's saying, by doing that, you're making distinctions, and you're not being loving by preferring or uh, being partial to one over the other. Now, in this text, uh, they would say it might literally read about being gold-fingered and brilliantly clothed. In other words, maybe even more so than just having a gold ring, maybe this individual, as James is writing, had multiple rings, and not just fine clothing, but brilliantly clothed, almost as if it was shining. Maybe they were taking gold or silver and kind of sewing it into their clothes so that it was a little extra, as we would say today, blingy. How many of you like to wear some bling, you know, little, little, little pizzazz, little, little flash? It's almost as if, you know, they, they sewed not, not the cheap stuff, but the expensive stuff, gold and silver, into the outfit to catch the sunlight and draw attention to themselves. And so you've got two very different people here. And James is saying, if we show partiality to one over the other, it's not a loving thing to do. Because how we treat people matters, right? It counts. We are to be loving one to another. 1 John chapter 4, verse 20 and 21, we read this. If someone says, I love God, and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? This commandment we have from him, he who loves God must love his brother also. James, um, uh, in 1 John, it's basically saying, how can we say we love God even though we can't see him, but then we don't love somebody? We show partiality. We show favoritism for or against somebody whom we can see. He's saying favoritism and partiality is not loving. 
It's not Christ-like. It's not loving. Thirdly, partiality ends up making us the judge. How many of you would love to be a judge at some point? You watch the judge shows? Anybody watch, uh, what are the, Judge Judy? See, there's Judge Judy and Judge Joe Brown, right? Back in the day, I remember growing up uh, with mom and dad, I would watch Judge Wapner in the People's Court. Anybody ever watch that show? That was probably 80s. I'm, yes, girls, I'm extremely old. They're like, who is that? Judge Wapner in the People's Court, right? Uh, you, you have a, a complaint, uh, you know, you, you want to take them to court and, and you want your side to be heard. You would go to the People's Court, Judge Wapner or Judge Judy. You want someone to hear your case and that person's going to make the decision, right? When you and I show partiality and favoritism, it's basically like we're setting ourselves up to be the judge, because James chapter 2, verse 4, he continues after that description about the rich man and the poor man. He says, if you favor this rich man with the, the rings and the fancy clothes, he says, have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? When you show favoritism, when you show partiality to one over the other for a whole host of reasons, you're basically saying, well, I'm the judge. And I am judging that you are worthy and you are not. You're worthy of this and you're not. We're making ourselves the judge. That, that idea about making distinctions and judging, it's kind of like we're, we're separating people into categories. Well, yeah, uh, this is valid and worthwhile, and so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put you in the good category. Uh, but you over here, based on what I see visually, I'm going to slide you over here. When we show favoritism, when we, when we show partiality, we're setting ourselves up to be the judge. We're basically taking God's job away from him. He is the judge, not you and not me, right? We can often, again, as we many times make some snap judgments about people, we can often judge or value certain individuals better based on whatever characteristics or criteria we determine. And it might be as simple as Ohio State over Michigan. Ooh, I like him. Look what he's wearing. Go Bucks. Ooh. Maize and blue M. Uh-uh, not for me. Something as simple as that. Now, we're having a little bit of fun with that, trying to, trying to keep the, uh, the important topic of partiality and favoritism, which many times extends into some very serious topics of racism, trying to keep a little lighthearted with the sports, but you catch the drift. When we favor one over the other, it's, it's as if we've made ourselves out to be the judge. I determine this one's worthy and valuable and this one is not. God doesn't need my help in running the world and determining the value of individuals and situations. Many times we show preference or favoritism to someone who we like to maybe someone who's a little more like us, or maybe who can do a little something for us. Well, I kind of like this person over here because, you know, even from a young age, they shared their cookies with me. 
But so-and-so over here, all they have are apples. I don't want to sit by them. They try to give me an apple. I mean, sometimes from a young age, you know, we, even if it's simple things, we, we begin to develop preferences and favoritism. And many times it's based on what can be best for me. What can you do for me? And so we're setting ourselves up as the judge. But everyone matters to Jesus Christ. Everyone should matter to us. So here's the thing. James, so far he's saying that partiality is not Christ-like. It's not loving. It makes us the judge. Number four, he says it disobeys the great commandment. It disobeys the great commandment. Verse 8, he says, if you really fulfill the royal law according to Scripture, and he, he writes it, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. You're doing well. If you follow that law, you're doing well. Well, what is that? That comes back from what Jesus said, and that's in Matthew chapter 22, verses 37 to 39. Jesus was asked the question about, you know, what commandments the greatest? There's, I mean, there's ten commandments. There's a lot of rules and laws. And he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind. And he said, this is the first and greatest commandment. He said the second one is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. So we've heard of the great commission. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature and baptizing them in the Father and the Son, the Holy Ghost, and all of those things. This has been called the great commandment. We love God with all that we have, and we love our neighbor as ourself. But but then again, there's that word neighbor, right? Who in the world is our neighbor? Did he literally say, only love the person who is next door or across the street? Because if so, that means I've only got one on my left, one on my right, and one across the street, and I'm related to one across the street. Is that really what he means by neighbors? Well, people ask Jesus, remember? Remember? They asked him, well, who is my neighbor? And then, remember, Jesus tells the parable. He tells the parable about the good Samaritan, about the individual who is in trouble. And the good Samaritan was the hero of the story because the good Samaritan, you know, Samaritans and Jews did not mix. In a sense, it was... uh, kind of a spiritual intermingling, and and Jews and Samaritans, they they hated one another. They did not get along well, and yet it was the Samaritan who was kind of that hated individual who ended up reaching out and being the one to bless, the good Samaritan. It's not just the person you live next to. It's it's all who you come in contact with, your, your neighbors. So, We are to treat everyone. It's not just the one on the left or the right. It's not just the one you sit next to at lunch or sit next to at school or whose office you're across from at work or that individual in your family. It's not just this limited number of individuals. It's it's the people that we come in contact with. Treat them all with love and kindness and respect. Let's not have partiality and favoritism. So James is saying it's not Christ-like, it's not loving, it makes us the judge, it disobeys the great commandment, 
And then finally, this last description, he very simply says, partiality or favoritism is sin. Look at it in verse 9. If you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. Forever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for all of it. He who said do not commit adultery also said do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but you do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. James can't say it any clearer, but if we show partiality, if we show favoritism based on any kinds of these things, he's saying that's sin and we've broken God's law. Now, we contend, human nature is, we can tend to minimize our sin and maximize other people's sins, right? I mean, we know that God's word says we've all sinned. We just feel that ours really aren't that big of a deal. But when we look at other people, wow, look what he or she is doing. And so sometimes uh, partiality, favoritism, uh, maybe in culture or society and church, it's, well, it's not that big of a deal because I'm not killing anybody. I'm not murdering anyone. I'm not, I'm not doing this. I'm not doing this. So if I tend to do some of that, if we're not careful, we can minimize it. But it's certainly not what somebody else is doing. Is that what James was talking about here? He simply said, if you do that, you're sinning and you're breaking the law. You are a transgressor. You've sinned. It doesn't matter whether you've done every single one. You break the law, you're a lawbreaker. Right? Well, someone who murders, we're saying, they broke the law. Someone who steals, they broke the law. Someone who has committed adultery, wow, all of these things in our eyes many times are big. Sometimes in some of these issues, we make them smaller. James, he's saying, you break one, you're a lawbreaker. And very simply put, this is sin. Prejudice, favoritism, partiality is sin. No matter where you go in the world, you're going to find people who don't like another group of people. True? If you've traveled some, if you've, you've seen on internet, you've seen in, in the news, it's not just the United States that's uh, experiencing some of the, the turmoil, many times involving race. Other parts of the world, maybe it's about someone who lived in the north and someone who lived in the south. Or someone who lived on the west and someone who lived on the east. Or someone from this part of the country versus someone in this part of the country. It's not just a United States or an American thing. Worldwide, there are issues with preferences and favoritism one over the other. When it comes to racism, one, one pastor put it this way, and I quote, Racism is a sin problem, not a skin problem. I've heard that kind of ties in with what James is saying. Listen, when it comes to partiality and favoritism, it's not Christ-like. It's not loving. It, it makes us the judge. It disobeys the great commandment. And very simply put, it is sin. 
If you show partiality, you are committing sin, James says. So he he does a pretty good job of describing for us what it is. What is partiality? What is favoritism? Certainly, again, we've mentioned racism and other things are a part of that. But he, he doesn't leave us hanging. He gives us some good principles about how we can hopefully overcome partiality and favoritism. So uh, this next section we're simply calling a prescription for partiality. We see how James describes it. Now he gives us some, hopefully, some ideas about how to overcome it. Number one, prescription for partiality is this. We must follow God's standards. It all comes back to God. It's what he declares. It's what he desires. Verse 80 says, if you really fulfill the law according to Scripture, fulfill the law according to Scripture, follow what God says, follow what God desires, follow how Christ lived. We said earlier, partiality and favoritism are not Christ-like. And here he gives us the prescription, being Christ-like means following God's standards. If we fulfill the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you're doing well. This is about God. This is about his word as opposed to our personal preferences or favoritisms or partiality. What does God's word say? James is clear Don't show partiality. It's sin. Well, you say, take James out of the equation. What else does the word of God say? Glad you asked. There's a few other scriptures here on the screen. Uh, You can see uh, 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 where it's found, and I'll read them for you briefly. Leviticus 19.15 says, Do not pervert justice. Do not show partiality to the poor or favoritism to the great but judge your neighbor fairly. No partiality, no favoritism, no matter who the individual is, rich or poor, eliminate favoritism, eliminate partiality, and be fair. Follow God's word. You say, well, that's Leviticus. Those are the first five books of the Bible, some of those laws. What else you got, pastor? Glad you asked. How about Proverbs? Proverbs is a book of wise sayings. Proverbs 28, 21, to show partiality is not good, yet a person will do wrong for a piece of bread. That that pretty much describes mankind many times. It's not good to be partial. It's not good to show favoritism. But if something can help us or benefit, even if it's for a piece of bread, we'll go ahead and do it. We'll do the wrong. So Leviticus in the law says don't do it. Proverbs in wisdom says don't do it. James says don't do it. How about 1 Timothy chapter 5 in the New Testament? Verse 21. I charge you in the sight of God and Christ Jesus and the elect angels to keep these instructions without partiality and to do nothing out of favoritism. Now, we could keep going. There's other scriptures. There's a a great overview. Leviticus, Proverbs, James, and 1 Timothy. Let's not get caught up in what other people might say or what other people might do, but allow God's word to be the standard. 
This is what we live. This is what we follow. We follow the standard set forth in the word of God. Follow it and obey it. Follow God's standards. Secondly, James gives some encouragement and instruction. Prescription would be this. Love as God loves. Verse 8, again, back to that. Love your neighbor as yourself. That was the scripture. That was that great commandment to love as God loves. And, and when we do that, hopefully we're going to learn to see people how God sees people. That can be a challenge, right? Because, again, many times our first thought, our first preference is made awful quick. First impressions, right? You know, that, that first day of school, uh, you've got to have that outfit and that first day of work, wanting to make a good impression. Because we know first impressions are important. What, what someone thinks about you many times kind of drives the future. But how many of you know sometimes we're wrong when it comes to our first thoughts and impressions? We've got to see people the way that God sees people. Even people in God's word have incorrect thoughts when it comes to first impressions. Remember the prophet Samuel in the Old Testament. God wanted him to go and anoint the next king of Israel. You had King Saul, and uh, he was going to go and find this, this next king of Israel. One by one, as he began to look at each of these young men, he saw visually this man looks king-like. God kept saying, he's not the one, he's not the one, he's not the one, until he asked any other sons in this household, and remember, it was David out in the fields keeping the sheep. I mean, yeah, he's just a young boy, but I guess we'll bring him in. And the scripture in 1 Samuel 16, 7 says, the Lord does not look at the things man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the, he looks at the heart. And the idea is we love as God loves, but that means we've got to see as God sees. We get so wrapped up, we kind of stop looking at people when we look at the outside. And to love as God loves and see as God sees means we've got to look a little deeper than just what's on the outside. Whether that's looking at hair or clothing or this or that. What's the old, old phrase, right? Don't judge a book by its cover. You know, houses are judged on curb appeal. Everything is about how something looks on the outside. Probably the same way if you go and you try to pick a piece of fruit in a, in a supermarket. I mean, we don't cut every single piece open. You, you know, you're judging. Some people uh, squeeze it. Some people shake it. You know, some people hold it up and, and look at whatever this fruit is. But basically, we're, we're kind of judging on the outside. So whether it's fruit, whether it's homes, whether it's books or magazines, oh, that one, that, that book looks pretty cool. Look at that cover. We're, we're judging many times based on the outside, and we're based on things within the first 30 seconds of somebody. How do they carry themselves? How do they look? How about this? How about that? And we're forming some quick opinions, and we can tend to make generalizations about the whole based on observations of a few. 
Because there's a, a phrase that gets thrown out. It, it gets thrown out when it comes to racism, but it gets thrown out when it comes to about anything you can imagine. And it's that phrase, well, those people. Let me, let me just say it like this. I've lived in a bunch of states, Illinois, New York, Connecticut, Missouri, Ohio. I've lived in a bunch of cities, from Joliet, Quincy, to Springfield, to, um, oh, where am I at? Schenectady, Watertown, Waterbury, Springfield, Galleon, Lima, Ada. In fact, when I was in high school, as a part of moving parents in the ministry, I was in four different high schools. And it kind of was a, a range of high schools from rural, kind of out in the cornfields, to inner city, to suburban. I pretty much had them all covered. And guess what? I saw it and I heard it at every single school. Some variation of those words, those people. Not always necessarily black and white. Sometimes it's just about our school and that school, right? Well, I mean, you know those Ada kids. Well, those USV students. You know those students from Harden Northern are. Well, you know those Lima Senior. You know those Ken. And, and it goes on and on and on. I was in four different high schools, and we had all kinds of rivals, and I heard it in every single one. You still hear it today in our area, even when it comes to sports teams. We can tend to make generalizations about the whole based on observations about a few. We know a, a handful of jerks who like this, therefore everybody who likes this is a jerk. It exists all over the place. James is saying, love as God loves, see as God sees. Can we try to do a better job of looking and seeing into the heart of someone versus just the exterior or versus just what they are associated with? Can we give other people the benefit of the doubt just like we want them to do to us, right? When we mess up, you know, oh, man, I messed up. Give me the benefit of the doubt. When someone else messes up, man, we're, we're ready to, you know, pound them. Can't believe you did this. Love as God loves. Jesus said in John 7, 24, to stop judging by mere appearances. We love as God loves, see as God sees. In the New Testament, even Peter, one of the great disciples of Jesus Christ, Christ needed to overcome his prejudice. Raised as a Jew, wouldn't touch or have associations with a non-Jew, a Gentile. God gave him a dream to prepare him to reach Gentiles for Jesus all around the world. And in this dream, as he then relates it and shares with Cornelius, a Jew, uh, I'm sorry, the Gentile, Acts 10, 28, Peter says, God has shown me I should not call anyone impure or unclean. What's he saying? God, God show me. I've got to see them the way he sees them. 
Love them as God loves them. So James, he's trying to give us some principles to try to overcome partiality and favoritism. Let's follow God's standards. What does God's word say? Follow it and obey it. Number two, he says, love others as God loves them. Number three, watch our words. We've got to watch our words. Verse 12, he says, speak and act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. So first of all, we'll look at speaking. Speak as those to be judged under the law of liberty. James implies this is to be a habitual way of life, not just a a one-time thing. It's not just a one-time thing where we watch our speech and guard it and we're cautious. It's, It's not just on Sundays. It's not just one particular part of the week or around one particular individual. It's the intentionality of our words to be always considered. See, we've got to watch our words privately as well as publicly. How many times don't we continue to to see some of what in, in today's culture we call hot mic moments? People who are not aware that their microphone is on and they're saying some stuff which is inflammatory and or partial and or favoritism and or racism and or etc. Intentionally or accidentally it gets leaked out and then there are consequences. Even even in the last week or two, one of the uh, well-known radio broadcasters for a sports baseball team here in Ohio, was caught on a hot mic moment saying something like that. See, it's not just publicly, it's privately. It's not just privately, it's publicly. It should be the intentionality, all of who we are. It's not just, okay, I'm going to church, so i got to mind what I say, but when I'm home, I'll just you know, do whatever I want and talk about whomever I want. It's privately, it's publicly, it's, it's watching our speech, it's watching our words out and about as well as at church. Now, based on COVID and, and based on the governor's guidance, um, you know, many are wearing masks. But many people were wearing masks before we were wearing masks, if you catch my drift. Many people coming into church, no matter what their morning was like, no matter what their week was like, would come into church many times with the Bible, and it's, oh, praise God. Good to see you today. Good to be in the house of the Lord. Putting on a mask for what maybe they are really like. It's not just about being cautious with our words at church, but it's at home, at work, at school. And it's watching our words digitally as well as in person. Oh, if you are on social media at all, you know the truth of that statement, right? Many people on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram or other things, and they would type something on a keyboard that there's no way they would say face-to-face to an individual. But many people are emboldened behind a keyboard. This famous person says something or this not-so-famous person says something, and so uh, they'll fire off a response, and many times it gets really ugly really fast. 
So there's a lot of different ways, but James is saying, speak as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. So all kinds of speech. We've got to watch our words privately, publicly, church and home, in person, on the computer. Our words, let's try to lift up rather than tear down. 1 Thessalonians 5.11 says to encourage one another and to build each other up. Let our speech be uplifting. So he says to follow God's standards. He says to love as God loves, to watch our words, and then to stay in that verse, he says, to adjust our actions. It's not just speaking as those who are to be judged, but act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. Our, our speech and our words, they go hand in hand. Just one chapter earlier, James chapter 122, remember he says to be a doer of the word and not a hearer only. It, it's really easy whether you're here in person or you're watching on Facebook or watching on YouTube or listening through the website or podcast, it's really easy to listen to God's word. It's a little tougher to put it into practice and put it into action. James is saying, be a doer. Verse 12, he's saying, act as one who is to be judged. So we've got to be cautious about our speech, cautious about our action, put it into practice. Not to show partiality, not to show favoritism for a whole host of areas and ranges. And then finally, number five, James says to live out mercy. Verse 13, judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Love treats others with mercy and gives what they need, not what they deserve. It's a strong word in Hebrew, meaning we, we feel something strongly in our gut. Micah 7, 19 says, you'll be merciful to us once again, speaking about the Lord, trampling our sins underfoot and sending them to the bottom of the sea. Aren't you thankful for God's mercy? Mercy is not getting what we deserve. We deserve a whole lot as someone who has sinned. We've all sinned. We've all done wrong. And if we re received what we truly deserved, man, we would be in trouble. But God's grace, but God's love, but God's mercy. We receive his mercy. Let's extend and live out mercy towards others as well. Listen, things are, are not always as they seem or as they appear in our lives and situations. This following story appeared in the uh, newsletter entitled Our America. It says, Dodie Gadient, a school teacher for 13 years, decided to travel across America and to see all of the sights she had taught about. Traveling alone in a truck with a camper in tow, she launched out across the nation. One afternoon, rounding a curve on I-5 near Sacramento in rush hour traffic, a water pump blew on her truck. She was tired, exasperated, scared, and alone. In spite of the traffic jam she had caused, no one seemed interested in helping. Leaning up against her trailer, she prayed, Please, Lord, send me an angel, preferably one with mechanical experience. <laughs> Within four minutes, 
a huge Harley-Davidson motorcycle drove up. Ridden by an enormous man sporting long black hair, a beard, and tattooed arms. With an incredible air of confidence, he jumped off the motorcycle without even glancing at Dodie, went to work on her truck. Within another few minutes, he flagged down a larger truck and attached a tow chain to the frame of this disabled Chevy and whisked the whole 56-foot rig off the freeway onto a side street where he calmly continued to work on the water pump. The intimidated school teacher was too dumbfounded to talk, especially when she read those paralyzing words on the back of his letter jacket, California Hell's Angels. As he finished the task, she finally got up the courage to say, thanks so much, and carry on a brief conversation. Noticing her surprise at the whole ordeal, he looked straight in the eye and mumbled, don't judge a book by its cover. You may not know who you're talking to. With that, he smiled, closed the lid of the truck, straddled his Harley, and with a wave, was gone as fast as he had appeared. God still answers prayer. An angel with some mechanical experiences. No doubt, at some point in time, you and or I have judged and or misjudged somebody. By virtue of the outside, by virtue of the exterior. We've shown partiality or preference in some form or fashion. And James wants to teach and to encourage us. What is the prescription? It, it might not be all-inclusive, but it's a tremendous foundation. James says to follow God's standards. Love others as God loves them, to watch our words, adjust our actions, and live out mercy, even if we don't receive it in return.